It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner. Hey, Cruel Coven. Hello, Love Buckets. My name is Tori. I'm Katie. And this is Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. Happy Thor Day, everybody. Happy Thor Day. Katie, are you ready to get into today's episode? Let's do it. It's an ongoing issue that is seldom spoken about, but that's gotten more traction in the past few years. Still, it isn't enough. Today, we're going to be talking about missing and murdered Indigenous women and giving you some heartbreaking facts and statistics. I'm actually curious to know how many of our listeners know about this epidemic, because before recent years, I had no idea. I did not know this was such an issue that was going on. Neither did I. I feel like we kind of lived in our small town bubble in the Midwest and didn't know that this was even a thing. And I'll give you one guess as to why. The media isn't reporting about this. Law enforcement isn't taking the lives of indigenous women seriously. And it's a silent problem that indigenous people have been begging for help with. The woman we're going to be talking about on today's episode is Mary Johnson. Mary Johnson is a missing indigenous woman from Washington state and an enrolled citizen of the Tulalip tribes. Mary Johnson was last seen walking on the Tulalip Reservation on November 25th of 2020. She was last seen walking along Fire Trail Road and was never seen again. Her family is still desperately seeking answers, and we're going to hear from her sisters later in the episode. Getting right into things, we're going to throw some pretty disheartening facts at you. These statistics are going to make you uncomfortable, and to that we say, good, because they should. According to Native Women's Wilderness, quote, as of 2016, the National Crime Information Center has reported 5,712 cases of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls. Strikingly, the U.S. Department of Justice Missing Persons Database has only reported 116 cases. The majority of these murders are committed by non-Native people on Native-owned land. The website goes on to list several statistics, quote, indigenous women and girls are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than all other ethnicities. Murder is the third leading cause of death for indigenous women, and that's from the Centers for Disease Control. More than four out of five indigenous women have experienced violence. That's 84.3% of indigenous women. That is from the National Institute of Justice report. More than half indigenous women experience sexual violence. That is 56.1%. More than half indigenous women have been physically abused by their intimate partners. That's 55.5%. 48.8% of indigenous women have been stalked in their lifetime. Indigenous women are 1.7 times more likely than Anglo-American women to experience violence. Indigenous women are two times more likely to be raped than Anglo-American white women. Murder rates of indigenous women is three times higher than Anglo-American women, end quote. And that is from nativewomenwilderness.org. Not only are indigenous women and girls going missing and being murdered at a disproportionate rate, the state of Washington, where Mary Johnson went missing from, has the second highest number of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, according to an Urban Indian Health Institute report from 2018. 
We thought it would be beneficial to talk a little bit about the Tulalip tribes and give you more information on the tribes and the area that we'll be discussing. On their website, it says, quote, We are the Tulalip tribes, direct descendants of the successors in interest to the Snohomish, Snoqualmie, Skykomish, and other allied bands, signatory to the 1855 Treaty of Point Elliot. As signatories, we agreed to cede title to our ancestral lands, which expanded to the top of the Cascade Mountains, north to Vancouver Island, and south to Oregon. In return, the treaty reserved the Tulalip Indian Reservation as our permanent homeland, over which we have retained inherent sovereign jurisdiction. Our status as a sovereign government maintains our right to self-govern as a nation within a nation. This includes the inherent right as a government to raise revenue for our community. Of our services, 92% are funded from within. This includes tribal member entitlements, family and senior housing, education, health, dental, and mental health services, law enforcement, fire protection, infrastructure improvements, and economic growth. Our tribal population is over 4,900 and growing, with 2,700 members residing on the 22,000-acre Tulalip Indian Reservation. We are located north of Everett and the Snohomish River and west of Marysville, Washington. And that is from tulaliptribes-nsn.gov. Now that we all have a better understanding of the Tulalip tribes, as well as how important it is to talk about this ongoing struggle and battle that Indigenous people have, let's get into the case of Mary Johnson. Unfortunately, there's not that much information out there about Mary Johnson. And that is part of the problem. And I feel like that just goes to show how much investigating is being done and how much media reporting is being done. Mm -hmm. It makes it feel like not only are so many indigenous women and girls missing and being murdered, but it, as an outsider, it makes it feel like that's all that they are. Right. When they were so much more. Right, exactly. So what we're about to tell you now is the extent of what you can find out online about her. And we wanted to say that up front because, like I said, it goes to show that this is a real problem. And most of this comes straight from law enforcement's search warrant. Mary Johnson was 39 years old when she went missing from Marysville, Washington. Mary and her husband had been living with Mary's younger sister, Jerry, in Cedra Woolley, Washington. They left suddenly, reportedly, and moved to Marysville, Washington, which is about 40 miles south of Cedra Woolley. Mary met her husband in 2002, and they were married in May of 2016. One of her best friends, Carrie, who talked to another podcast, Murder Murder News, stated that she felt that Mary and her husband were not a good match. She said that she felt like Mary was afraid of her husband, and that she even offered for Mary to go and live with her in California at one point, because she and her husband had not been getting along for roughly two years. Carrie also mentioned that she felt like Mary's husband was or could be verbally abusive. In late November of 2020, Mary's marriage was getting more and more strained. She and her husband were fighting a lot and constantly butting heads. Mary, as a result, ended up staying with friends and couch surfing because of the tension at home. She really only went to the shared home that she had with her husband to shower and to get her mail. Law enforcement was able to piece together a timeline, and just as a little forewarning, 
it gets a little bit confusing and that's only because there are technically four men involved and none of them have been named publicly. So I don't have first names to differentiate them by, but I'm going to try my best. Okay. On November 24th of 2020, Mary's husband dropped her off at a friend's house on 140th Street Northwest on the northern edge of the Tulalip Reservation. Mary had a suitcase with her. This friend was an unnamed man, and she confided in him that she was worried her husband was going to move to California and take their joint belongings with him. Obviously, Mary didn't want that to happen, so Mary and this friend attempted to go to the Tulalip Tribal Court to speak with an attorney about what she could do to stop her husband. But according to the security guard in the lobby, there was not an attorney available to speak with her at the time. Instead, Mary made plans to go to a house in the small village of Oso, Washington, the next day. Oso was roughly 30 miles away. The plan was for Mary's friend to drop her off at a nearby church, where another friend would then pick Mary up and drive her to Oso. So she stayed the night at the friend's house. This is the original friend that her husband allegedly dropped her off at with the suitcase. He was going to drive her to the church the next day. The next day, though, the plan didn't go through as Mary had hoped. On November 25th, 2020, Mary and her friend got up and they were ready for this friend to take her to the church to catch her ride to Oso. But there happened to be another man staying at the friend's house and he also wanted a ride. According to the warrant filed in Snohomish County Superior Court, Mary and this other man were waiting in the driver's truck they were waiting for the friend to take them to the church, and they were allegedly being impatient. I couldn't find too much more about what that could mean, but apparently whatever it was, it made the driver mad, and he yelled for the other man to get out of the truck. According to the warrant, Mary and the passenger both got out of the truck and started walking east from the driver's house on 140th Street Northwest, also known as Fire Trail Road, at around 1.30 p.m., in the meantime, the driver who was supposed to take Mary to Oso arrived at the church only to find that Mary wasn't there yet. He began to drive up Fire Trail Road and he saw her walking with the passenger, the man who'd been kicked out of the truck, and after driving by them, the man sent Mary a text saying something along the lines of him not being able to fit both of them in the truck. Like, just so you know, I only have room for you. And just for clarification, this man who was driving by who saw Mary and the passenger walking was the man who was supposed to pick her up at the church after the original friend dropped her off there. A few minutes later, at 1.52 p.m., Mary texted him back saying, quote, I'm almost to the church, end quote. According to her cell phone records, this was the last text that Mary sent. Her phone records also revealed that she'd been in contact with this man almost every day during the past month, but police say he has not seen or heard from her since that day. Mary also left a voicemail for the people she was going to see in Oso, some time before she went missing. According to the warrants, Mary was asking for her friend to pick up the phone, and she sounded desperate. The people that she was going to see confirmed with law enforcement that Mary never arrived at their house. While the message to the driver was the last text she sent, she did make a very short phone call around 2.30 in the afternoon on the 25th. We do not know exactly who she called, but authorities do. And according to a police interview, the woman Mary called said that she was preoccupied and she told Mary that she could not talk. 
About an hour later, so around 3.30 in the afternoon on the 25th, Mary's phone pinged off a tower near Oso. Now, Mary did not have a vehicle or a driver's license, and she could not have walked from Fire Trail Road to Oso in only two hours. It was like 30-ish miles away. At around 8.50 that night, her phone pinged off a tower in Marysville, and her phone stayed in Marysville until the next morning when it was either powered off or dead. On December 9th of 2020, Mary's husband had a pre-typed statement to use to report Mary missing to the tribal police. He told them that she hadn't been around and that they usually talked every two days, but he hadn't heard from her. So when law enforcement began their investigation, they looked into Mary's cell phone records to see who she'd been in contact with, which is in part how we were able to piece together a timeline, and they tracked down people who might have seen her or spoken to her prior to her being reported as missing. In the warrant, a Tulalip Tribal Police Department detective wrote, quote, The fact that she has left many thousands of dollars in tribal welfare checks uncashed is a significant indicator that she is being held against her will or is deceased, end quote. Mary's family has put up a billboard on I-5 near Marysville asking the public for tips, and the FBI is offering a $10,000 reward for information. Mary Johnson was last seen walking on Fire Trail Road on the Tulalip Reservation in Washington on November 25, 2020. Mary is 5'6", with black hair and brown eyes, and she has a sunburst-type tattoo on her upper right arm. Tips can be directed to the Tulalip Tribal Police at 360-716-5962, the FBI Field Office in Seattle at 206-622-0460, or they can be submitted anonymously at tips.fbi.gov. There's also a tip line for the Tulalip Police that is 360-716-5918. On an article dated December 9th of 2021, written by Eric Wilkinson for King 5 News, it stated that, quote, Tulalip Police Chief Chris Sutter said that part of the problem in solving crimes that involve Native women is the, quote unquote, jurisdictional maze investigators have to work through. He said that it's something that is very much top of mind in law enforcement now. He said, we're trying to change the narrative that these cases don't historically get solved very rapidly or at all. Sutter would not provide any information about potential leads or suspects in Mary's case. He announced the reward for information leading to the conviction of whoever is responsible for Mary's disappearance is now up to 60,000. Katie and I were talking and we're not sure if these are if the FBI 10,000 and the 60,000 are two different rewards or what's going on here. Or if they're combined. Or, yeah, yeah, or if they're combined in some way, we're not sure. But either way, indigenous women make up 40% of women trafficked in the U.S., even though they only make up 2% of the U.S. population. If this doesn't scream that there's a major problem going on, I don't know how to put it more clearly. There needs to be continued pressure on officials, on our governments, to do more, to do something. For more information, you can visit the website for the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. That is csvanw.org. And it's exactly what it sounds. They, you can become a member of this coalition and you pay dues. Those dues get put back into the Native community. 
and they go towards appropriate training and education of domestic violence and sexual assault in tribal communities. If you are not able to become a member, you can still go to the website, find resources, more information. They have events that you can go to if there's any close to you. Um, you can stay up to date on the website on the latest news, what's going on, and then they have things that you can do and calls to action to help. So that was all that was out there about Mary Johnson's case. Mm-hmm. And you guys know that like with a lot of these other cases that we cover, we have a wealth of information at our fingertips to tell you guys about. But in the case of Mary Johnson and with so many other indigenous women, there's not hardly anything out there. However, we had the privilege of sitting down over Zoom and talking to Nona and Jerry, Mary's sisters. And we got a lot of amazing information from them about who Mary is and about what made her the person that she is today. And the biggest underlying thing that we got out of that conversation was how much Jerry and Nona and their family misses and loves her. You'll hear more about that from Jerry's own words about how she describes her older sister pretty soon. But first, we just wanted to say that. So we sat down, we asked them a few questions. And one of them was, what discrepancies do you see out there in the media that we can help you correct? And the biggest thing to them was the date issues, the timeline issues. Because like Katie and I have listened to a few podcasts and read a lot of articles about Mary. And A few of them have completely different dates about when she went missing, about when she was reported missing, and that can be incredibly detrimental to a case. So both Nona and Jerry wanted to make sure that the accurate information is getting out there from themselves. So for as far as what I can tell you about Mary growing up, she actually was very sassy and she stood up for herself she stood up for anybody else that she loved and cared about when she left the house um it was right before graduation she peeled out and she was taken off with her friend and i don't know what the heck twisted her stuff was you know she might have been having a fight with part of the family i don't know All I remember is because I was a little bit younger, so she just sped off and peeled out in the grass, and that's how she started off her life, was just taking off and being on her own instead of, you know, all the other kids that were raised in the foster care family that we were all raised in. Uh, We'd all graduate and then leave her. She just, like, right before graduation, she peeled off and she took off and she was doing pretty well for herself because she was uh, working for the Tulalip uh, Casino, the bigger one. And she was doing good for herself. Um, her husband, he's the one that reported her missing December 9th, but he told us, her sisters, the day before Thanksgiving that she was missing. So it was the day before Thanksgiving is when he told Nona and I that she was missing. And then December 9th is when he reported her missing. 
See, the other thing that Nona and I are trying to make the media look at her as a woman and as a person, and I want the story to be about Mary as a person, as a woman, as a sister, as an aunt that cares about everybody because that's who she was. She's the person that gave this poor person on the side of the street some food and even went into the store and got the dog some dog food and even bought him a blanket. So, I mean, she's a kind, caring, loving person. And that's what I want to get out there is she was more than just what people are trying to say. She's a fun, loving aunt, beautiful soul, a very great protective sister. And she always wanted to be a mother. That's what I want to be putting out there for her. Because that is who she is. That's who she is as a person. Because there's a lot of judgmental people out there. And she may not be perfect. But she's still my sister. Our sister. Anybody's sister. Everybody that has a missing person. That is their sister too. It's got to be a fair place out there. The world's a mean and cruel place. But you know what? You got to fight for what you need. And right now, we're fighting for Mary. So hopefully this podcast can make it even further. Because we don't want to give up. Because it's been a year. We don't want to give up. We got to believe that she is still here with us until we are proven wrong because there is no way that somebody should give up on family, even if it's just a year. Family is family and you got to keep going, searching, no matter how long it takes. I don't care if it's like 10 to 15 years from now, we're still going to be looking for Mary until she shows up at our doorstep or somebody can prove us wrong. We're not going to give up. The sooner that we can see every single human being as a life that matters, the better that we will be for it. You know, the, the, the more news coverage that we can get for her and other women like her, the better chances we have of bringing her home and reuniting her with her family. So when Katie and I were chatting with Jerry and Nona, Nona had a little bit of light to shed on who Mary was when she was a child. She said that, quote, Mary and I were taken away from our parents at age six and five and put into the foster care system. We were always in the same home, Mary and I. She was a leader and she was not scared of anyone or anything. She was a protector. When you were sad, she would make you smile. When you were angry, she would make you smile. She loved comedy movies and she would quote lines to you. Nona also went on to say that Mary is a great person, that Mary and Nona both helped out a foster sister. They gave a testimony. It sounds like Mary was an advocate for anyone. And now I feel like all of us need to advocate for her. And I feel like 
if we as people would put ourselves in the family's shoes, let's say you went missing, Katie, or I went missing. Let's say, you know, my brother went missing. We would want everyone to care. We would want them to, you know, take two seconds out of their day and share the FBI poster Mm -hmm. just in case. I mean, social media, it can be the devil, right? But it can also be insanely amazing for missing persons cases. It can be a really good tool and it has helped solve cases. Yeah. So it literally takes two seconds. And if that was your sister, you would want people to do that for you. And I just feel the more that we can get loud about this growing epidemic, the better we will all be for it. And we just want to say thank you again to both Jerry and Nona for for sitting down virtually mm-hmm. with us and taking time out of their days to shed light on who Mary is. And I'm going to pre-thank all of you for sharing Mary's missing poster. Because we know that you will. Yes. And it would be amazing, especially if you have friends or family over in the Washington area, if you could spread that poster to everybody Mm -hmm. and just get people talking about Mary, anything, anything at all. And the more that we can share this, the better it will be. And it could potentially help bring Mary home. Thank you guys for listening. If you would like to send us an email, you can do that at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at cruelandunusualthepod. I tweet. She tweets. At cruelunusualpod. And you can join our Facebook group at cruelandunusual colon the group. We love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.